Welcome to Founders of Nations, Episode 9, Australia, Part 3. Hello and welcome back. Today's episode is the final part of Arthur Phillips' story. This was a Patreon-funded episode, the second of the episodes about Australia. Most countries just get one founder, but one of the Patreon perks is that you get to choose another country to get a second founder. So this is the first of those second founder countries. So thank you, Sally, for being a Patreon supporter. And uh, yeah, so here we go. Last time we were together, we saw Arthur Phillip rise from a captain's servant to the captain of a ship in the British Navy, and then to being leader of what became known as the First Fleet, headed to colonize a mysterious place on the other side of the globe that we call Australia. And the last thing we talked about was some of the bilge water that had been building up there and knocking the socks off you whenever you smell it. Uh, So with that bilge water accompanying them on their trip, they eventually made it to Botany Bay. After looking around and finding little to make a colony with there, Philip uh, sailed north to Sydney Cove, where they found what is today even considered one of the best harbors in the world. It was protected from the ravages of winds and waves. It was very large, and the land had large trees which could be used for timber, and there was also a nice source of fresh water nearby. Most of the fleet then headed back to England after they dropped everybody off, and they were left with one open seaworthy boat and one transport ship that was really better off staying near the coast. (sighs) The better location of Sydney Cove, though, did not mean smooth sailing. As you may remember, there was only one gardener in the whole group of convicts, so there were many problems. The first problem was not with natives or provisions, well, kind of provisions. It was that the marines refused to guard the convicts, and then the marines and convicts started robbing the food stores. Not together, but separately. The marines hated the convicts, and the convicts pretty much hated the marines. So Arthur Phillip quickly set up a criminal court and was very strict about punishment for theft, especially theft of food. And he was even harder on the freemen than he was on the convicts. His, his thought there, I guess, was that those who are in authority over the convicts should be acting correctly and not abusing their authority. Whereas he may have kind of assumed that the convicts would have been doing that already. So, But this definitely made the freemen, especially the marines, very upset with Philip. And uh, he also gave kind of the equal number of rations to people, except for a small difference. They were given the same types of punishments, as I said. And uh, things got so bad between the Marines and Philip that Philip ended up having to make a night watch of 12 trustworthy convicts to watch the food stores to keep the Marines and the other convicts out. Uh, And this actually worked for a while. But before long, the Marines put up such resistance to the idea that they would be under convicts that he had to abandon it. His rules on natives and the colony were also very strict. He had laws against doing any harm to the natives, causing any problems with them, and he really showed the desire to make friendly relationships with them, uh, as well as you can imagine from an 18th century English colonial mindset. Uh, Of course, the new tribe, or the new colony, had come and taken away the local tribe's fishing area, chopped down most of the forests around them, but European mindset at the time was that 
The loss of a little territory was nothing compared to the benefits of civilization that they would have. Of course, the tribes probably didn't feel that way, and we know today that that's not really the best way to do things, and we wouldn't do it that way. But he was being very forward-thinking in many ways, so it's difficult to, to fault him for this idea that he had that was pretty much a, a commonly thought of and totally normal part of life in Europe at the time, this colonial mindset. Anyways, part of this strange mindset was uh, to make friends. You would do things like outlawing, assaulting the natives, which he did. He gave lots of gifts, and people in the colony would give, give gifts to the natives. Uh, but some things that we probably wouldn't do would be like kidnapping. So he apparently kidnapped uh, some natives to try to learn more about them and you know learn the language from them. Again, <laughs> that doesn't seem like a great idea, but it, it was totally normal at the time. They just thought, you know, you'd return them back in a little while once you helped them and they helped you. Uh, but he did receive some uh, penalty from this because a little while after he kidnapped one of them, one of them escaped and came back later and uh, Philip ended up getting speared right under the clavicle and it somehow just went straight through the meat and didn't give him any long-term harm. Uh, but definitely people thought he was going to die, and he thought he was going to die at the time. So it does seem like he was hopefully taught his lesson. He didn't try to kidnap anybody else after that. Uh, now, one of the reasons why he may have tried to kidnap anybody else after that is because once he recovered from that and he didn't launch a, a reprisal against the natives, they seemed to really open up to the colony. And from then on, there were much friendlier relations between the two groups for the entirety of his time as governor and a little while after that. But after the first year, the scourge of new peoples to Europeans and to other people from the mainland of the world at that time was smallpox. And just like it had decimated Indians in the New World in the Americas, about the second year that they were in Australia, it really decimated the local tribe there. Uh, it's a little confusing because they were there for a full year without having any outbreaks, and they didn't have any smallpox outbreaks on the ships. So it seems like maybe it didn't come from them, but it is seem it does seem like a pretty big coincidence that, that the tribe right next to them would get it. Um, so it's difficult to figure out how exactly that happened. Maybe other Europeans arrived, or maybe, maybe the, the records were just changed. I don't know. But somehow half the tribe died from smallpox. And, uh, yeah, so unfortunately we see that happen again, just like we see it happen in many places around the world whenever they first get introduced to the outside world. On the agriculture front, Philip had brought with him a household servant who had been a, a farm servant when Philip owned the farm when he was married before. And he brought him with him to kind of help with this, and it seems like he did actually help. Uh, the first two years of farming was pretty much, unfortunately, zilch. They, they got some seed that would help them in the future, but they really didn't even get enough to eat. So they had about two years' worth of rations when they landed, and so that would take them through these first two years of not having enough food. But eventually, the ship that was supposed to arrive towards the end of that time with extra supplies ended up shipwrecked and never made it. So everybody was down to one-third rations, and... 
I mean, they hadn't heard from anybody in a long time by now, and the colony was teetering on the edge of starvation and trying to figure out, have we just been left out here alone to die? What's going on? So Philip dispatched uh, the only open seaworthy ship back to Cape Town in South Africa and brought back about four months' worth of supplies and news that there had, in fact, been a ship that had shipwrecked. So this kind of helped, but to know that there was at least a ship that was supposed to be coming. Uh, But, I mean, they were really on the edge of starvation here. Clothing was in tatters. Clothing was being sold for food. People were walking around with no clothes at all. Convicts were beginning to just drop out of the work line, dead of starvation and overwork. Uh, And when the first real harvest came after that second year, a full third of it disappeared before it could reach the storehouse. And you can imagine that there was just dread of what was coming next for all of the the convicts and the Marines and for Philip and the officers. Uh, like I said earlier, Philip had instituted a very strict regimen of crime being punished. So it seemed like that did a lot to help keep people in line, even through this time period when this is probably the most dangerous time in in this colony's history of would they just break down into anarchy? Would they die of starvation? Or would they make it through? And somehow Philip was able to help them push through this difficult time. And uh, he kept it all together. So I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in this colony in the middle of nowhere, lack of food, feeling like everybody just abandoned you. Well, yeah, I don't know how I would have reacted. How do you think you'd have reacted? I'll stick that question on Reddit and see if anybody answered. I'd be interested to talk about it with you. Finally, in 1790, though, two years after they arrived, and a little bit before that harvest came in, a second ship, or a first ship that finally made it, it was the second one that was dispatched, came carrying some supplies, but mostly convicts, because after all, that was what they were supposed to be doing, transporting convicts there. So while this didn't actually help much in the short term, it did give everybody hope again because they saw that they weren't just abandoned. And these ships continued to come, some of them bringing lots and lots of supplies, other ones just bringing lots of prisoners with a little supplies. Um, Henry Dodd, who was that farm worker that Philip brought with him, like I said, really helped to make that second harvest, or the third harvest, sorry, come in strong enough to be able to actually feed people. And it was from this that Philip started to be able to give out land grants as good land had been found to farm. And uh, two land grants were given out early on to two convicts, Richard Fillmore, who was the first to successfully live as a free farmer after being emancipated from his convict status. And then James Roos, who ended up being able to feed his family even and sell food back to the colony's general store. And these two were kind of the model that Philip and and the ministry in England were looking for was to to help these prisoners, these convicts, kind of reform themselves and become farmers in this new land. And this was really the, the turning point for the colony. From this point on, there was food, and you could make things with, you know, different parts of the things that you grow. So they were out of the woods at this point, at least the worst of the woods. Philip, though, had been suffering from what people think nowadays is probably kidney stones, and they were unable to be taken care of in Australia. Uh, Slowly, this caused his health to decline, 
and eventually at the end of 1792, about two years after the first supply ship had arrived in 1790, he would get on a ship and return to England looking for medical help for this debilitating problem. If you've ever had a kidney stone, uh, I, yeah, it's very painful. They say it's one of the most painful things that you can feel in you know the history of someone's existence. So yeah, nowadays we can take medicine, usually get rid of them or even have other things to, to do to fix them. But in Australia at that time, there was no advanced medicine, so he was stuck with it. Uh, so he headed back towards the end of 1792, and by about midway through 1793, he was back in England. And within a few months, he was finally recovering, though still suffering from some bouts of this health issue. Uh, he retired at that point and was given half pay again, but this time, rather than a regular officer, he was a governor's half pay, so it was still a good bit of money. Uh, he also found out that his separated wife had died, and he eventually, after a few years, met and married Isabella Whitehead, his second and final wife. He lived out his remaining years as basically a higher-class gentleman. Uh, he consulted with government types of the co on the colony. He gave recommendations for who should be assigned to what jobs there and who was trustworthy and those kind of things. <clears throat> and he continued doing that until Napoleon took over the French Revolution and big war started again on the high seas. He was called out of retirement into the Navy in 1796. He was in his mid-50s by this time, but he was put in charge of a ship of the line and ended up kind of bouncing between four different ships of the line within about a year and a half uh, because there were younger or more connected people who were kind of jockeying to get into those positions because there were never enough ships for all the officers. He then eventually became the main trainer for what was in effect the Coast Guard at that time, helping to keep the French from invading, uh, they thought. And uh, he eventually ended up as a naval inspector, sent on jobs all over the world during the war, inspecting the Coast Guard and the impress service. That was basically how the Navy would draft sailors. Uh, it seems he flung himself into these works just like he had his other jobs that he'd done, and he spent almost no time at home as he was having to travel all around the country inspecting these things. And you can see some of that tension starting to rise up in the home between his wife and him, who were, his wife was less than happy with all these travels. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Try to avoid that if you can. Now, finally, in 1805, he retired, and they spent some time together. For three years, they seemed to live a happy life. And until in 1808, Philip suffered a stroke and lost the use of the right side of his body. But miraculously, it was a temporary problem, and 18 months later, he seemed to be back to normal again. After the war, he continued to live until about 1814, when he died. And, uh, yeah, we can just see that he had done a lot. He had started as the son of an immigrant German teacher. He would become a spy, a captain, eventually admiral and inspector for the British Navy. Uh... For our purposes, though, his leading of the first fleet was instrumental in setting up the colony and eventually the nation of Australia. Most of the other conflict fleets that came into Australia, even during while he was governor and after, ended up with large majorities of the conflicts arriving either half dead or already dead. So he did an excellent job getting that convoy there safely and then leading the colony through its birth pangs where 
there was just no food and having to set up order and a foundation from which what we know of as Australia could spring. Uh, the reason he was not the original first founder was because he's just not as well known as Cook is. And this podcast is mainly focused on people who are well-known, beloved characters in each nation. So historically, we definitely say that Philip had a bigger impact than Cook did. But as far as, you know, getting to know someone and, and you know, talking about someone who everyone would think in Australia, oh, oh well, that, that would definitely be Cook, it seems like. So that's why Philip got the second episode, not the first. All right. Well, that is it for today's episode. Thanks again to Sally, the Patreon supporter who chose Australia to get the second episode. If you enjoyed this or my other episodes, please share with your friends. Leave me a rating, wherever you like. Uh, the next interviews will be coming out in the following weeks. And then the main episode, which should be on Azerbaijan, should be out in about two to three weeks. I'm leaning more towards three because this new house needs some work and I haven't spent much time with my wife since we moved in because of all the work. So I do anticipate things will be more consistent now, though. So every two to three weeks, a new episode should be. If you have any questions or thoughts for me, please get on whichever social media you want. Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, wherever you want, I'm there. And use the chat feature on the website if you can't get on those. I'll be doing a little bit of what did I learn here after I finish this conclusion. So if you're just here for the history, just uh, end now. Otherwise, I will keep talking. So what can we learn from Arthur Phillip? Well, I think the first thing I learned from him was just to see what can happen from a life that's really devoted to training and practicing one thing. It's similar to Captain Cook. From childhood, he was on ships and then in the Naval Orphan School, and he learned just everything about the Navy, basically, uh, and especially how to lead and organize men. And, and learning that from such a young age, I'm sure it just got ingrained in everything he did. And this is why we see what he's able to do later on to be such a good organizer of men and trainer of men and leader of men. In America nowadays, many of us don't even figure out what we're going to do as far as a job goes until at the earliest in our late teens and at the latest in our 30s. So gathering expertise and knowledge in that specific area doesn't start until much later. Uh, and this is a positive for us, right? We want to be able to make an adult choice about what we think we want to do with our lives. But the negative side of that is definitely that we don't start on that skill until much later in life. And that can be difficult to overcome if we're competing with other countries that make those choices earlier on. So, for instance, if you look at a country like China, where there aren't so much into choosing your life, uh, you pretty much get put into your track in middle school and then you stay there. And you know, I often talk about this with my students that Americans are generally more well-rounded as we've taken so many different subjects in school while a Chinese student is much more focused on their studies in that one subject. And so they know a lot more about their subject, but maybe not so much about other subjects. And I found in my experience with my Chinese students, I lived in China for a while, that collaboration between the more specialized students and students who are more well-rounded often leads to great results. But ah, I digress. But having this focus and being able to train from a young age in doing the thing that you're going to be doing, you know, it just lets you achieve an expertise level that's difficult to get to otherwise. 
the second thing I think that we see with Philip is his ability to really adapt and overcome different circumstances. He was a naval officer. He was a spy. He was a governor. All these things require very different attributes. And it seems like Philip was able to execute all of these offices well, as he got commendations in every place he went. So he was definitely able to see what needed to change about the way he did things and then to adapt to those things that he needed to change. I have a friend named Chase that always beats all of my other friends and myself when we play Settlers of Catan. And he always claims the key is just to be flexible, to adapt to the changing situation on the board and not to have any one strategy in mind for too long. And this is definitely what I see in Philip's life, adapting and overcoming. All right. Well, that is all I've got for today. Thank you for coming. Hope to see you next time. Again, I'm happy to hear from you if you want to uh, send me a message. Have a good one.